Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is episode 56, Chill Pill, in which we hear about the commercialization of hormone pills and we advance to the golden age of antibiotics, the 1940s through the late 1950s. Thanks to those who already support this podcast. Support the continuation of this podcast at Patreon. The website is www.patreon.com forward slash the history of chemistry. Chemists who work with steroids often call the 1930s the decade of the sex hormones because that's when chemists first worked out the correct structures of testosterone, the male hormone, estrone and estradiol, the female hormones, and progesterone, a hormone for pregnancy. The 1930s were also the time when medicine first began using these chemicals. Testosterone's chemical structure was finalized in 1935, and was synthesized by two groups, one led by German biochemist Adolf Butenandt and one by Ruzika and Wettstein in Switzerland. It has the characteristic four-ring structure of all steroids, a series of compounds we discussed a while back. The problem with testosterone is that it cannot be administered orally because it is toxic to one's liver and in the 1930s, it was really expensive. Injections are a problem because it breaks down fast in the body within around 10 minutes. So chemists began to modify testosterone's chemical structure slightly to make it last longer. Not till the 1970s did effective ways to bypass the problems begin to appear, especially in the undecanoate form, first used in China, and then Europe. This adds an ester group to the testosterone, plus a long hydrocarbon tail on the ester. Estrone was the first sex hormone discovered in 1929 by two groups. American biochemist Edward Doisy and physiologist Edgar Allen, and Boutinant, whom I already mentioned. Doisy and Allen published first, two months before Adolf Boutinant. Boutinant did, however, publish the chemical structure first in 1932. Like testosterone, it has the four-ring steroid structure. I note that Boutinant may have been actively involved with the Nazi party, and his Nazi activities are still murky. Estradiol is actually a tautomer of estrone. Estrone's double-bonded oxygen can lose a bond and gain a hydrogen from the nearby carbon becoming estradiol. The diol part of the name indicates two OH groups. Estradiol is actually the major female sex hormone. Progesterone's structure was confirmed in 1934 again by Boutinant. Like the other sex hormones, it's a steroid with the characteristic four-ring structure. All of these hormones differ only slightly from each other chemically, though their physiological effects are dramatically different. But in the mid to late 1930s, getting these medicines for clinical use was problematic. It was real work to synthesize them and equally getting enough from biological sources like 
say pregnant mares, was not trivial. So let's turn to one player in this history, Russell Marker, an American chemist, technically a physical chemist, with a master's of science degree, never quite finishing the requirements for his PhD. His first job after graduate school was at the Ethyl Corporation, dealing with hydrocarbon fuels for combustion engines. In fact, it was he who invented the octane number system. And discovered that hydrocarbons that were less linear and more branched reduced the amount of engine knocking. Within a couple of years, he'd had enough, and moved on to work with another major chemical player we mentioned, Phoebus Levine of tetranucleotide DNA fame in 1928. But Marker dealt with chiral molecules and optical rotation mostly, and he switched once again in 1934. To become a faculty member at Pennsylvania State College, which later renamed itself Pennsylvania State University, his new interest was these steroid molecules, which were just being isolated and synthesized. Over the course of his time at Penn State, Marker isolated pregnane diol from urine of pregnant mares and cows, converting it chemically to 35 grams of progesterone. Which was a huge amount in one lot for the 1930s. The Park Davis Pharmaceutical Company, which then independent but now a part of Pfizer, funded most of his laboratory research. By 1938, one of the crazy new things he proposed was a structure for a plant steroid, sarsaparillin, which is found in the sarsaparilla plant, known for fragrant roots. And has been made into a fizzy drink known in the USA as root beer. No alcohol involved. Not only that, he was able to run a series of reactions, now called the marker degradation, to convert sarsaparillin into the human hormone progesterone. But even getting sarsaparillin was expensive, not to mention the extra chemical workup to produce progesterone. Marker began looking for other plants with steroid compounds more like progesterone. One plant he discovered was in the lily family, called beth root. Extract of beth root was already in a patent medicine by the name of Lydia Pinkham's vegetable compound, which was well known in the late 19th century. Another possible source was from a yam of the Dioscoria family. Which Japanese scientists isolated and named diosgenin, but neither of these roots were economical either. Marker asked several plant experts to help him search and collect plants, largely in the southwestern USA. They found 400 species and found more sapogenin steroids in them. But in November 1941. Marker was in Texas and reading a botany textbook. He saw a photograph of another Dioscorea yam native to Mexico, Dioscorea mexicana, in the state of Veracruz, near the town of Orizaba. Locals called it Cabeza de Negro, and it allegedly grew up to 100 kilograms. In January 1942, Marker visited Mexico. And took a bus to this town of Orizaba, 
and on the way recognized a stream depicted in his textbook. At that point, he entered a small store run by Alberto Moreno, who spoke no English. But Marker was able to convince him to help find this yam, and Marker had no permit to collect plants. They got two large roots of cabeza de negra, placed in bags on top of the bus, which immediately vanished. Marker bribed a local policeman, presumably la mordita, as I heard it called when I visited Mexico, and retrieved a fifty-kilogram sample. When he returned to Pennsylvania. Marker was able to extract a decent amount of diastenin from this sample, and visited Detroit to the home office of Park Davis with the rest of the yam. Maybe they would commercialize the process, but the president refused, saying that real chemistry couldn't happen in Mexico. Eventually, Marker convinced himself that he alone would have to do it. Marker went back to the Veracruz store and got Moreno to find and desiccate. Ten tons of cabeza de negro. He hired a small-time extracting firm in Mexico City to use alcohol to extract syrup from the roots. He offered, as a bounty, one third of the final product to his friend in New York, Norman Appelzweig, to let Marker use his lab to make progesterone from the syrup. The result was three kilograms of progesterone, which cost at that time eighty dollars a gram. Back in Mexico, Marker found a duo, Emerick Somlo and Federico Leyman, who ran Laboratorios Hormona S.A. and made an agreement to found a company called Syntex to make steroid hormones. Marker resigned from Penn State in 1943 and chartered Syntex in 1944. The name comes from Synthesis plus Mexico. Marker got forty percent of the shares of the company, and by 1945 was marketing progesterone for fifty dollars a gram. But soon after that, there were arguments over profits, and Marker left Syntex completely. He basically shut down the firm because he himself knew the chemical procedures, coded the reagents, and wrote down no instructions. So Syntex needed someone fast to replace Marker, and the firm found a hormone chemist named George Rosencrantz working in Cuba. By the beginning of 1946, Syntex was again in operation. Rosencrantz expanded production to testosterone and other steroids, and grew the research division. Among new recruits at Syntex were chemists Alejandro Zaffaroni and Carl Gerasi. I mentioned Carl Gerasi in previous episodes, in which he collaborated late in life with Roald Hoffman on the play Oxygen. Gerasi noted that one reason he decided to work at Syntex was that they had one of these cool new Beckman DU spectrophotometers I talked about in a previous episode. Marker, meanwhile, founded a rival company called Botanica Mex, which also manufactured hormones from the cabeza de negro. After a few years, in 1949, Marker gave up chemistry completely. Gerasi was a most interesting person. He was born in Vienna of Jewish parents, but spent his infancy in Sofia, Bulgaria, where his father was from. His parents divorced, and he moved back to Vienna, but spent summer times with his father. 
and then the Nazis marched into Austria. With a non-Austrian parent, Gerasi was in legal limbo, for the Nazi regime refused him Austrian citizenship. So his parents remarried solely to get them out of Austria and into Bulgaria. He went to high school at the American College of Sofia, where he learned English. In 1939, as a teen, he and his mother were finally able to emigrate to the USA. He received his PhD from the University of Wisconsin Madison on chemical reactions of steroids. So now at Syntex, Gerasi had learned of new research in 1949 on this fabulous new steroid called cortisone, making it possible for arthritic people to move again. Unfortunately, like other steroids, cortisone was extremely expensive, requiring 36 chemical reactions, starting with an extract from ox bile. Gerasi was able to make cortisone from diastenin, but Upjohn upped the ante with a new cheap process in 1951, converting progesterone into cortisone. Then Syntex began searching for an oral contraceptive. Based on the idea that progesterone stops ovulation during pregnancy, so perhaps Syntex could find a chemical similar but not exactly progesterone to do this. Gerasi and his research group were able to synthesize norethindrone, the active ingredient in the first workable oral contraceptive, by 1951. Norethindrone was effective orally, unlike progesterone. And much more active. Gerasi sent samples to endocrinologists, who found that it was effective in animals. From 1954 to 1956, small and then large-scale studies in people also showed it was effective. The United States Food and Drug Administration gave a limited permission for marketing norethindrone in 1957, and licensed the product as the. Birth control pill, under the name Enovid, in 1960. But there are other non-hormonal medical pills of value discovered in the 1940s and 1950s. A while back, I mentioned the first practical antibiotic, penicillin. Found in 1928, because it is a chemical extracted from a mold, scientists began to search for other fungal-based antibiotics, launching what's called the golden age of antibiotics. The first alternative was found in 1944 in a soil bacterium, Streptomyces griseus. This germ produced streptomycin, discovered by American biochemists Albert Schatz. Elizabeth Buji and Russian-American Selman Waxman at Rutgers University. Streptomycin interferes with bacteria's ability to make certain proteins, a process which we will likely cover in a future episode. Streptomycin was put into general use in 1958, and was the first antibiotic useful against the global scourge of tuberculosis. Interestingly, because streptomycin was discovered in New Jersey from New Jersey dirt, the bacterium Streptomyces griseus is now the official New Jersey state microbe.
Another antibiotic, or rather a series of antibiotics, were discovered by American plant physiologist Benjamin Duggar in 1945 from the bacterium Streptomyces oreofaciens. Duggar found the first of the series, chlorotetracycline or oreomycin, whose structure was determined in 1952 by none other than organic chemist Robert Woodward and researchers from Pfizer. Pfizer researchers expanded the series of tetracyclines by replacing a chlorine atom with a hydrogen atom on the compound, making it more stable, a stronger drug, and better pharmacology. It was approved by the FDA in 1954. One factoid about tetracycline is that it has, shall we say, a chemical affinity for calcium, so gets incorporated into bones. Those bones can later glow under ultraviolet radiation, identifiable as tetracycline, based on the peak fluorescence wavelength, as shown in a 2010 study in Journal of Anatomy. I hope to discuss the history of fluorescence and its cousin, phosphorescence, in a future episode. A variety of tetracyclines are now known, the latest of which was discovered in 1993. As another method for discovering antibiotics, the Eli Lilly Company asked missionaries traveling all over the world to bring back samples of soil where they visited for testing in their laboratories. A sample taken in 1952 from Borneo, sent to American organic chemist Edmund Kornfeld at Eli Lilly, gave another bacterium called Streptomyces orientalis. This species generated the compound 05865, which killed even Staphylococci resistant to penicillin. This 08565 had a characteristic brown color, which the researchers joked about calling it Mississippi mud. Purification at this time was、um, dangerous, to say the least, because picric acid was used, so it was not a preferred way. If you recall, Picric acid was originally a yellow dye but found to be explosive. Another method was only 82% effective, leaving the brown color. So, Kornfeld and his team tried a new snazzy method of purification. The chemists used something I mentioned in a recent episode ion exchange chromatography. The final product took its name from the word vanquish. Being called vancomycin. During clinical trials, word got out among doctors who requested it for patients not responding to other antibiotics. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved its use in 1958. As a side note, Kornfeld at this time also worked with organic chemist Robert Woodward on the first successful synthesis of LSD. By this time, physicians and researchers began seeing antibiotic resistance in significant numbers, so researchers turned to chemical modifications of penicillin for assistance. The Beecham Group in England came up with a so called semisynthetic antibiotic using a central part of the penicillin molecule, 6 amino penicillanic acid, or 6 APA for short. For this drug, in October 1958, The Beecham scientists found a variant of the common E. coli bacterium 
that produced a particular enzyme able to cleave out this 6-APA from penicillin. Their new drug was called methicillin and was widely used for only a few years until the bacterium Staphylococcus aureus became methicillin-resistant. We now call this germ MRSA, M-R-S-A, and it is in pandemic infecting thousands of people annually. We stop here in the story of antibiotics as we reach the 1960s. In our next episode, we review new polymers developed and marketed in the 1950s. Until then, brave the elements. Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast.